In the words of one of my favorite hymns, John Henry Newman writes, O loving wisdom of our God, when all was sin and shame, a second Adam, a second Adam to the fight and to the rescue came. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Well, if you're here today and you're new to the Christian faith, you're just exploring faith, what do Christians believe? One of the questions that you might have that's on the surface, perhaps maybe you're even afraid to ask, it's so um, on the surface, which is, what's the big deal about Jesus Christ? Why are Christians obsessed with Jesus? Why do we worship Him? Why do we sing to him, bow to him, sculptures of him, paintings of him? What's the big deal? On the other hand, if you've been a Christian for a long time, especially in in, uh, a mainline denomination like the Episcopal Church, uh, you might remember some of the the works of, of what's called the historical Jesus movement. Writers like Marcus Borg or, or John Dominic Crossan, th- these were guys who basically said, there's not really anything special or supernatural about Jesus. He was a man who lived, just some guy, and then he died and a bunch of people followed him. But certainly, there's no such thing as a, a virgin birth or a bodily resurrection or he, did, he didn't die for people's sins. That, that's kind of nuts. That's what the historical Jesus movement said. So what is it about Jesus Christ Why do we love Him? Why do we devote our lives to Him? Why do we worship Him? All of our Scripture lessons today answer it, I think, in this way. Because Jesus Christ is the second Adam, and where Adam failed humanity, Jesus triumphed. Where Adam disobeyed, Jesus obeys the Father. I can't help but think that God's invitation to us today on the first Sunday of Lent, Lent, a time when we kind of focus, as we said this Ash Wednesday, on, on our mortality, our weakness, our sin, I can't help but think God's invitation to us is that while our sin may seem great, our Savior, Jesus, is greater. Jesus is greater. Let me show you two reasons from the text Two reasons why Christians love and devote themselves to Jesus Christ. Why he is such a big deal, all right? They go like this. First, Jesus undoes the essence of Adam's sin. Jesus undoes the essence of Adam's sin. And here's the second reason. Jesus undoes the effects of Adam's sin. The essence of Adam's sin the effects of Adam's sin, Jesus wipes it away. He undoes it. He redeems it. First, Jesus undoes the essence of sin. Have you ever asked the question, what what was going on with Adam and Eve and the fruit? What did they do wrong to mess this whole thing up? They just ate some fruit. What's the big deal? Well, I put before you today um, the Jesus Storybook Bible. A little kid's storybook. Uh, it's one of my favorites that we have for Daphne. And um, 
Let me tell you what this children's author says is the big deal about sin and the fruit in Adam and Eve. She calls it believing the terrible lie. Will you permit me to read you a little bit of the story? I'll show you the pictures, all right? Just like, just like we do at home. Adam and Eve lived happily together in their beautiful new home. And everything was perfect for a while. Until the day when everything went wrong. Satan wanted to stop God's plan. Stop, stop this love story right here. So, he disguised himself as a snake and he waited in the garden. Now, God had given Adam and Eve only one rule. Don't eat the fruit on that tree, God told them. Because if you do, you'll think you know everything. You'll stop trusting me. And then death and sadness and tears will come. You see, God knew if they ate the fruit, they would think they didn't need him. And they would try to make themselves happy without him. But God knew there was no such thing as happiness without him. And life without him wouldn't be life at all. Well, as soon as the snake saw his chance, he slithered silently up to Eve. Does God really love you? If he does, why won't he let you eat the nice, juicy, delicious fruit? Poor you, the snake said. God doesn't want you to be happy. The snake's words hissed into her ears and sunk down deep into her heart like poison. Does God love me? Eve wondered. Suddenly she didn't know anymore. Just trust me, the serpent says. You don't need God. One small taste, that's all, and you'll be happier than you could ever dream. Eve picked the fruit and ate some, and Adam ate some too. And a terrible lie, a terrible lie came into the world. It would never leave. It would live on in every human heart, whispering to every one of God's children, God doesn't love me. What's the essence of sin in the Garden of Eden? It's believing this terrible lie that God in his commands is against us, that he doesn't love us. This makes a lot of sense to us, doesn't it? So let's take a few examples. I lie on my taxes to keep money for myself because I believe the terrible lie that God is against me and actually won't provide for my needs. You see how that works? I lash out in anger because I doubt God's promise to correct this world's injustice because he doesn't love me. So he's not going to take care of the world's injustice. I have to do it myself. So, huh. I leave the bounds of my marriage because I doubt God's ability to show up in my unhappy relationship. So I'll take care of it myself. God doesn't care for me. I rebel against authority because I doubt God's ability to protect me from some crazy human's abuse of power. God doesn't love me. He doesn't care about me. He's not going to protect me, so I'll take care of myself. Rebellion. And on and on and on and on we go. Underneath all of our sin is the subtle belief that God is against me, the terrible lie. Isn't it interesting then 
When we read about Jesus' temptation, the second Adam, that instead of believing the great lie that God is against him, which Satan whispers into Jesus' ears three times in our gospel lesson, Jesus actually says, no, I trust that my Father is for me. We will do this thing God's way. God's way. Paul says it this way from our epistle reading. Just as by the one man's disobedience of believing the terrible lie, the many were made sinners, that's us, we're all now believers in the terrible lie too, so by the one man's obedience, that's Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Listen, Christians love Jesus Christ because he undoes the essence of Adam's sin by actually trusting that God is for us in his commands. What is God asking you to do in life right now where you're tempted to believe that he's against you? Some commandment you just say, I can't follow that because it seems like God is trying to hamper my life, take happiness away from me. Don't believe the terrible lie. God loves you. His commands for you are loving. That's the essence of sin and Jesus undoes it. Here's the second reason why Christians love Jesus. He undoes the effects of Adam's sin. The effects of Adam's sin. What are the effects of Adam's sin? Well, our Old Testament says it this way. In the day that you eat of the forbidden tree, you will die. The penalty of sin is death. But there's another effect of sin, not just physical death, spiritual death. Theologians talk about it like this. Sin's effects are like its penalty and its power. It's not just that one day we will die, but which, by the way, in the Garden of Eden, God never intended humanity to die. Why is human death so painful for us? Because it was not his original plan for us. We were to live in paradise with him and with each other forever. And then we believe the terrible lie. Not only that, not only physical death as an effect of sin, we actually cave to the power of sin Theologians have said for centuries that what happens after the fall is that humanity loses all ability to fight sin. We become enslaved to it. Enslaved to it. We know this, don't we, in our everyday life. My pastor growing up used to say this, sin takes you further than you ever thought you'd stray. It keeps you longer than you ever thought you'd stay, and it costs you more than you ever thought you'd pay. The power of sin in humanity. It takes us further than we ever thought we'd stray. It keeps us longer than we ever thought we'd stay, and it costs us more than we ever thought we'd pay. Listen to how St. Paul, a couple of chapters later from our epistle reading in Romans, listen to how he talks about the power of sin in his own heart. He says, I don't understand my actions. This is from Romans 7. For what I don't do, I do. I do the very thing I hate. I can will what is right. Oh, I want to do the right thing, but I can't do it. I don't do the good I want, but the evil I don't want is what I do. Sound confusing? So I find it to be a law, Paul says, that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. And then he says it explicitly. 
with my flesh, I am a slave to the law of sin. That's the effect of sin. Not just physical death, but the loss of all freedom. Now consider the story of Jesus from our passage today. Notice Jesus in a few weeks will, will, will observe his passion and death, right? During Holy Week. In his passion and death, Jesus takes care of what? The penalty of sin. But what about the power of sin? Notice today in the story of Jesus with Satan being tempted, he defeats temptation. He resists temptation through trusting God's word. That is to say, Jesus' obedience to God all through his life, his never caving to temptation, that is Christ winning for us over the power of sin. Lately, it's been a little bit tough to feed uh, Daphne, our little girl. I said earlier, I feel like I'm taking the whole church with me on the parenting saga the Bales are having, you know. First, we're trying to get her to sleep, uh, which thanks, thanks for your prayers. She's sleeping better now. Um, and now we're trying to get her to eat. So uh, we, we put her in a high chair. Actually, it looks like this, pulpit high chair. And we sit her there, and she's sitting there, and, and we're giving her little bites of food, right? And she'll take the little bites of food in her, her pinchers, and she'll hold them, and she'll look us dead straight in the eye, and she'll reach her hand out over the high chair. <laughs> and then you know what she does, right? She opens her pinchers, and the food falls. Our little puppy dog, Beekner Bales, loves it. Pray for him. He's gaining some weight right now. So. Or Daphne will take the food and just spill it on herself. Anything but her mouth, right? Now, two things need to be done as parents at that point. One is Daphne still needs to get some food in her body, right? She needs to be nourished with vitamins and minerals. She needs to eat. But we also have to clean up the mess that she's made. We got to get her what she needs, and we got to clean up the mess that she made. This is, brothers and sisters, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. He has not only cleaned up our mess on the cross by paying for the penalty of sin, He has actually given us what we need, which is righteousness. It's His righteousness. So he does, he fights Satan today in our gospel passage for you and your nourishment, for me and my nourishment. We are not righteous, but we take his defeat of Satan into ourselves. I hope the beauty of Holy Eucharist in just a moment is not lost on you. Because what we're about to do is what Paul, you know, Paul calls this whole thing, the specialness of Jesus as the second Adam. He calls it a gift in our passage today. It is a gift to be received. So I hope it's not lost on you that in just a few minutes, all of us, sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, come forward to the place where Jesus took care of sin and made us righteous before the Father. We come to this altar and we say, Jesus please can I have you? 
And then we take Jesus in our hands. In fact, we do more than that. We take Jesus into our veins, into our veins. He is our food. We feed on him. In doing so, we say, Jesus, where I have doubted God's goodness, where Josh has doubted God's goodness, where Josh has believed the terrible lie, I take Jesus, your trust in the Father, I take that into myself and claim it for my own. Where I have succumbed to temptation and incurred the penalty of death for me, I now take you into myself. I take your defeat of Satan. I take your defeat of death on the cross. I take it into myself and claim it for my own. This is why, Christian, this is why we love Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus Christ is so special and worthy of our worship and devotion. Because where Adam failed, Jesus, the second Adam, has triumphed, as the creed says, for us and for our salvation. And all of God's people said, Amen.